This episode is sponsored by Echo. Hear clearly, care confidently. Learn more at echohealth.com. That's E-K-O health.com. And use code JSP for $50 off any stethoscope until December 31st. Just Some Podcast Media. The thoughts and opinions on Just Some Podcast are of the hosts and guests and do not represent the views of organizations that employ them or they volunteer for. They are also not responsible for spontaneous black holes or nuclear wars that may occur. You have been warned. Welcome, 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 everybody, to another fun-filled and exciting episode of Just Some Podcast. This is Tom. Hey, this is Ben. Tom, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm just watching our forlorn producer, Sam, try desperately to crackle on his microphone while we're talking. So uh, other than that, though, I'm doing great. How are you doing, Ben? I'm not doing too bad. I'm, I'm, I am excited to that we're going to, I guess, allow... And I don't know why, I don't know what bet we lost somewhere, but we're going to allow producer Sam to come out from behind the production booth in front of one of the microphones. And so this may be the last episode of Just Some Podcast. Hell, we don't know. <laughs> Old Saltwater Taffy is his nickname in the office. So, <laughs> Sam, if you uh, want to go to the mic there and introduce yourself to the fine people. That's it. Saltwater Taffy's my intro. <laughs> awesome well it is now <laughs> old sam the saltwater taffy man that's what we like to call him down by the water tank <laughs> oh one minute and 20 seconds in and it's off the rails yeah so right. sam you have a background in er correct that's correct yes have you done icu or anything else yeah i've worked at med surge and then icu for a few years and then uh, I did house supervisor for about a year and a half before landing in the, the ER where I've been since. So you, you were the guy who decided if people got to leave and go home early on low census. Yeah. Super popular guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. I also and decided the assignment. Considered arch villain. Yes. <laughs> so you were, so you were kind of the Hans Gruber. Um... You could say that. Yeah. I, uh, I did get a dollar extra an hour to be everybody's enemy. So worth it. Worth it. Yeah, I bet it was. And then you also uh, have some experience overseas, correct? Oh, yeah. That was uh, almost a whole lifetime ago, though. But yeah, I was a, a combat medic in the Army. And I uh, I deployed to Operation Iraqi Freedom in 2003 and did a tour and there. Who's going to win Army versus Navy this year? Better be Army. Uh, you know, <laughs> historically speaking. Well, historically speaking, I also think there's a small time wager between him and longtime listener Matt about who exactly is going to come out on top this year. So, hmm, possibly. I'm going Army. I love all the service academies, but I am uh, partial for family reasons to Army. So, go Army, beat Navy. Well, that was a fun banter. <laughs> <laughs> oh we're not 
Are we done bantering? I thought Man, we were still going to go. We've, we've only, that's just the tip. Yeah. We've only scratched the surface of the banter p- portion of just some podcast. We're just getting warmed up. Oh, Lord. This is going to be, I don't even, I don't even know. All right. Well, we can, we can move forward. We're going to have plenty to talk about when we get to the movie. So just let it happen. We're talking about a movie. What? Just, just let it happen, Ben. What, what are we doing tonight? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's why they call him the finest producer in all of podcasting people. So yeah. With great notes and advice. Like, so what are we doing tonight? Yes. He's really the glue, the backbone. That cool. forms the structure of the muscle. You guys aren't, nobody's jumping in. You guys all suck. So I was waiting to see where you were going with it. I was like, <laughs> hmm. I really just try to earn every dollar that you pay me is the thing. I want to <laughs> be worth yeah. the salary. Well, that makes sense. I mean, and we appreciate that. It's, it's not many people that would work for a dollar an episode, but I mean, Wait a producer Sam, do get, he does. So. Do I get back pay? You do not. <laughs> well, Tom, what movie are we going to cover tonight? So, one of my all-time favorite movies. Elf? <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> well, hold on. That's a trick question. That is also one of my favorite movies, okay? But no, that's not what we're covering tonight. We are covering the Christmas classic, Die Hard. Well, I think that's where we need to start the discussion, and then we can jump into the other stuff that we need to do as far as social media and stuff. But is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Absolutely. 100%. Why? Have you ever seen Die Hard, Ben? It occurs on Christmas Eve to start. Oh, was yeah. I supposed to watch it before we talked about it? Uh, <laughs> well, you know, it's not a requirement, Ben, but it's usually encouraged. I didn't know if you had any like other reasons. Like, I mean, I agree with you. I think it is a Christmas movie. It doesn't, you know, there is... Some aspects of it that are Christmassy, but I mean, it's not one of the ones that you routinely think of for Christmas. So that's also where you're incorrect, because that's exactly when I think of it is for Christmas. But I can honestly see the argument since it was released in July of 1988, a couple months off of Christmas. However, I still believe that the intent makes a difference. It's clearly intended to be set around Christmas time to evoke emotions associated with Christmas. That's why he uses the ho-ho tape to strap the Beretta 9mm to his back before shooting more terrorists. Therefore, I am ruling, in my opinion, it's a Christmas movie. I will say, and I'm sure I'm sure you've seen it, but the uh, Bruce Willis roast that was on Comedy Central, he actually addressed <laughs> no, I actually have not. I have not seen it. His quote was, and I quote, Die Hard is not a Christmas movie. It's a goddamn Bruce Willis movie. And that's what that's how we left it. <laughs> okay. He didn't write it. So I'm, just, I'm nope. No. I'm going to agree with you. I mean, even the, the end song is Let It Snow, which is a Christmas yeah. song. So Yeah, exactly. He was mostly unknown. He was only known for moonlighting before. Yeah, I would say this is one of his first movies where he's yeah. bigger. And with Hans, actually. Or, um, yes. Alan also with Alan Rickman. Yeah. Also, a interesting fact I looked up before the show: the original star. Well, who they wanted to cast? Does anybody know? Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra. For, Frank Sinatra was supposed to be original. Yep. Oh, I did not know. Yep. Though I'm pretty sure that scene falling down the air air conditioning shafts and going into the vent would have been a way different 
way different if a 70-year-old Frank Sinatra was expected to be. Yeah, I'm pretty sure a 30-year-old Bruce Willis didn't do that scene either. <laughs> hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's, let's not so, disparage Bruce's good name just yet, okay? Okay, but he's no Tom Cruise. plenty of time for that throughout the episode. Yeah, he's no Jet Lee or no uh, Jackie Chan doing his own stunts. But I would like the audience to weigh in on our social media stuff on whether or not they think Die Hard is a Christmas movie or not. They can find us on our social media to let us know if they think it's a Christmas movie. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. All the Just Some Podcast. Our website's www.justsomepodcast.com. Our email, jsp at justsomepodcast.com. And we're also on Patreon now, so you can find us on Patreon. Over there, we, we're doing all the unedited episodes moving forward, so you can... It's like you're in the room with us right now, if uh, you're listening on Patreon. So, and if you are, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, if you're here, I, I apologize. But, Tom, if they want to help us out, what could they do? Well, first, they could probably just go watch... Die Hard and say it's a Christmas movie, and oh, there you go. Oh, okay. Anything else? I mean, Amazon maybe. I don't know that Amazon button. You know that thing we do. The yeah. button, you know the Amazon thing. Yeah. 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 They could go to our website. They could scroll down to just about the bottom of the page. You'll see an Amazon affiliate link. Click on that before they go look at anything on Amazon. Add it to their cart. Doesn't cost them a thing. They won't even know we were there, and we'd really appreciate it. And it would be um, Merry Christmas and a Happy Holiday and all that other stuff if you guys would support us. So we appreciate it. Speaking of supporting us, Tom, before we get into the main meat of our episode, I do want to talk just a second about our sponsor, Echo Health. I have the core digital attachment, which actually attaches directly to my stethoscope, and it makes my stethoscope that is an analog stethoscope a digital stethoscope. So I still get everything that you get with the 3M Littman core digital stethoscope. I get the noise cancellation, the 40 time amplification, the app along with it. But the other thing I found interesting, Tom, they had some uh, customer survey results recently. Nine out of 10 providers when using the core felt that they could hear stethoscope sounds more clearly and feel more confident about the stethoscope sounds that they hear. And while it may be nine out of 10 for them, I'd say for us, it's two out of two. Like it's hundred percent. Like we feel like we really hear things a whole lot better would you agree i absolutely agree and this is truly a game-changing piece of equipment if you use a stethoscope regularly absolutely the sounds the clarity everything are so much better that it does absolutely make a difference and i hope you all get one as soon as possible where can they find that at tom well, they can find that at echohealth.com. That's E-K-O-Health.com. And use code JSP for $50 off any stethoscope until December 31st. All right. Well, you know, let's just let's get into this, Tom and Sam. Die Hard was released July 15th, 1988. It grossed $140 million worldwide. And introduced us to, you know, Nakatomi Plaza and, as Sam alluded to earlier, Bruce Willis as an action star. So, uh, good movie. Classic. It's one of those movies, I saw it as a kid, and instantaneously, like, I watched it, I was like, that was awesome. Like, that was, like, literally just, like, you didn't have to say anything else. You could just be like, that was awesome. And you just hit rewind, because this was, you know, VHS tapes. So, you hit rewind, you waited four and a half minutes. And then I watched it again. It was fantastic. 
really was. Sam, did you watch it when you were younger as well? I did, yeah. I th- I'm pretty sure that my dad still has it on VHS. Matter of fact, I think I still have it on VHS somewhere. For well, sure. Be kind yeah, of rewind. And- <laughs> for sure. And so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of talk about this medically. We got some other just random observations through the movie because, well, we, we that's what we do. The first thing I observed, and I want to get your guys' input on this. Now, this was 88, which is pre- Pre-everything. 9-11. Yeah, oh, any okay. of that. When he stands up as he's getting off the plane and the guy next to him notices his gun. And I'm like, yeah, get on the plane. Like, that's probably not going to fly. And he's like, oh, I'm a cop. Don't worry about it. Yeah, and the guy just yeah. nods. He's like, oh, okay. That's fine. Yeah, that's the level of security we had apparently in 88 where guys were armed with shoulder holsters and Berettas. And you could just be like, oh, it's cool. I'm a cop from New York, even though I'm somehow in L.A. on a domestic flight. Not require any identification. Just vouch. None at all. Actually, Ben, I was going to go even before that. Oh, okay. Even before that, Ben, credits are opening. John McClane is looking unrested from his domestic flight the gentleman sitting next to him says i've been doing this for nine years i will tell you the true secret to air travel is as soon as you get where you're going you take off your socks you walk around barefoot on the carpet making balls with your feet making fists with your fists with your feet feet. so i do want to point out that multiple times in my life based strictly on the medical advice of this movie i have tried that and uh, it's a fail. That's a not true whatsoever. You will completely have jet lag no matter. <laughs> not only does it not work, but it leads to him being barefoot for the entire action part of the movie because he was walking around like that. It was obviously a thing of convenience where they're like, okay, we need to get him figure out a way to get him barefoot. Well, let's make up some bullshit story that you need to make fists with your feet. Yeah. Tactical error, not having footwear on in construction sites. <laughs> does tend to hinder John McClane in multiple parts of the movie. So I do believe you're you're right. That's one of those mechanisms they put in place to f- make the movie go forward. I just hope that his tetanus shot was updated. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it is now that life-saving tetanus shot, as every trauma surgeon I've ever heard says in the middle of the trauma. I'm like, thanks, Doc. I haven't heard that 50 times. Thank you. So that is actually where I started was that piece of medical advice that I literally tried and never found it successful. All right. I had both of those things in my notes immediately followed by the fact that he lights up and is smoking at the baggage claim inside the airport. Yes. He's walking around LAX marble red, just hanging out the corner of his mouth. It was the eighties. We didn't give a shit. We're like, I smoked on the airplane to be honest. Well, I don't know about you guys. I flew in 90 and there were little ashtrays in the arms of the seats. Which is just amazing to think about now. So, yeah, I flew international on a 747 and there were ashtrays in the arms of the seats. So I remember that. And honestly, I used to be a smoker. I can tell you right now, I can't imagine how miserable that would have been to be on a 14 hour flight (laughs) trapped in an ashtray like that. Just. So nobody was smoking on that flight in 90. No, no, there were there was nobody on that flight, but the ashtrays and like yeah. all the remnants were there. Okay. So the first major injury that I seen was after, as he's killing the first bad guy, the first terrorist or, or whatever. They're kind of wrestling around. He gets slammed through the sheetrock and then they fall down the, the flight of stairs. Yeah, you're missing one, though. 
Takagi gets shot before that happens. Yeah, the first injury is Takagi okay. getting shot in the face. That's a pretty significant injury. Okay, I'm looking at injuries that you know are still life sustaining. Oh, I mean, yeah, there's 23 dead people throughout this. I mean, are we gonna talk about every damn one of them? I mean. No, but I'm just saying a bullet wound to the face does tend to make things. Well, difficult. judging by the amount of brain splatter that was on the window behind him, yeah, I think that's probably uh in your clinical professional opinion, Ben. In my forensics me. opinion, I'm saying I think <laughs> we can call that one. Okay. I just want to make sure we're clear. You're signing that certificate, not me. And I will. That's fine. Well, there goes half of my notes on injuries. Yeah, <laughs> nine millimeter bullet wounds to the face. I'm thinking he at least has to have a concussion, though. I mean, coming down For the sure. stairs, getting slammed to the street rock, abrasion. Well, okay, so this is the precursor to the scene we talked about before we start recording. This is for anybody out there hiding and they think the bad guy's chasing you. If the bad guy says, Don't worry, I won't hurt you in a very poor East German accent, and then cocks the weapon, he is definitely going to hurt you. Like, that is an important, don't trust him. Yeah. He's going to do bad things. It's a pro tip from Tom right there. That's uh, yeah. Just so you know, if you are ever hiding in a Japanese corporation's headquarters building in Los <laughs> Angeles with a German terrorist chasing you around and he loads his weapon. This could happen. Yeah. <laughs> just, it's, it's remote, but yes, it's a low probability, but high risk, Sam. And we're trying to keep that, you know, safe. Is there a medical disorder for six foot two German men to have feet smaller than Bruce Willis's sister? Is that a thing? Because I find it hard they have to very poor balance. Small. Yeah, that's why I fell down the stairs. Yeah, He's they're close to Holland four. and they wear wooden shoes there. So I mean, you it know, makes sense. He was sabotaged. You ever seen a German men's team win something in gymnastics? No, sir. They have poor balance because of their small feet. It's a widely known fact, Sam. I'd like to apologize to the German listeners. That I feel embarrassed. Now. Now. I'm, I'm truly embarrassed. <laughs> I didn't know that. Two grown men full, falling down concrete stairs with steel railings. Yeah. So not only would I say a minimum of concussion to whoever was involved in that fall, but who I, I want to say Bruce Willis was actually on the bottom of that. So the impact alone. So now we're talking possible fractured ribs. Is he going to get a pneumo out of this? You know, is he having shortness of breath? Like, those are things like he probably didn't think about, you know, because he's being hunted by terrorists. But if he were to come into an ER at that point in time, like those are some of the assessment things I'd be looking for on somebody that fell down a flight of stairs with a terrorist on him. Not only that, but if you look at the trauma criteria, I mean, someone else died in that accident. So I mean, that automatically <laughs> elevates the level of trauma. Yeah, that's an automatic priority, too. Right there yeah. is. Now, I don't, Sam, I, I need a ruling on this. He killed the other guy, though. So that's why there was a death involved in the accident. So still a two. It seemed almost involuntary. He was in a struggle. And I think the fall killed the guy. I don't think Bruce Willis was rolling down and, and like snapped his neck with his hands as he was rolling. I feel like it was the fall. That's level. That's at least a level two. All right. Well, then. And it depends on the height of the stairs as well. I'm going to go with the probably standard. <laughs> I don't think they made, you know, are you talking about the the amount of stairs? Or just the height that they fell, how many stairs, the distance fallen. How many flights of stairs. Yeah, so, I mean. How fast they were. I mean, they could have made it comical when he fell down like 30 flights. I mean, that would have, you know, just kept rolling. So, I think we need to be clear. So, he fell down one flight of stairs. 
So we'll say a minimum 10 feet. So that's 10 feet fall, hard, hard impact, possible broken ribs, one death involved. Bruce Willis, you're a priority two trauma patient. Already. Already. That's not anything else that's happened. That's like, yeah. Yeah. First 10 minutes into the movie. It's a violent movie, people. That's what Christmas uh, movies are known for. What do you, what, what somebody else got next? Well, it's all, it's, it's all gunshot wounds. <laughs> yeah. All these people got oh, shot. Oh. I don't know. It was crazy. Here's, here's a fun. Uh, when SWAT was running up to the building before they tried oh. to make entry, one of the members of the SWAT team caught his hand on a rose on bush. On the thorn of the rose bush. He yeah. And he thorn in the hand. visually yeah. goes, ow. <laughs> yeah. He stops and, and points it out. I wrote it down. So that's a puncture wound distal to the elbow. Yep. I would say, though, based on mechanisms of action, that we can waive trauma. That's a that's a trauma. That's a level twelve. So, <laughs> yeah, that's a trauma twelve right there, people. The walking wounded. Uh, and for it. people who don't know, the lower the number, the more severe it is. So level <laughs> so, twelve is. Yeah, so, so let's clarify that. People are like, oh my gosh. So only thing after level 12 are colors, which means you're not a trauma. That's what that means. <laughs> so uh, he yeah, has a trauma tope. red. That means nothing. Yeah. So there you go. So there was one injury before that, too, that I noticed. Besides gunshot. Al Powell. Oh, we forgot about Sergeant Al Powell. He's uh, driving the car and he's screaming for backup, drives that car off. I mean, at least, I mean, it was the full length of the car. He was bleeding from his head and his lip, so he probably bounced around and smacked his face on the at least the steering wheel. Actually, so so we're we're way we're all out of whack because honestly, what we should address before any of this the gunshots, no, <laughs> so, the appropriate so use of nine one one and communications equipment when calling this in. Okay, because <laughs> I would like to point out. To anyone watching this, that if you get on, first of all, there may have been in the 80s, like a special channel for police work on CB radios or something. I don't know. I don't find it very plausible because like they can't secure it. It makes it unusable if anybody could just use your channel. So so I don't think secure communications were that lax for LAPD even in 1988. I'm fairly certain that they would have not used communications like that. However, I find it hard to believe that if a guy is desperately yelling into a microphone, help, I'm being shot at, you know, there are terrorists, they've killed people in this building, and he's giving right. re- real-time facts. He's not saying stuff like, the moon told me to say this, you know. This guy is giving specifics. I saw 13 people, one of them were killed. They literally hear gunshots and have to remove their headsets because it's so loud. And they're like, it's probably a crank call. We'll yeah. send this death jockey. <laughs> yes. So I want to just say, if you are ever concerned that the police are not going to take you serious and have there been cases in history? Yes. But for the most part, if you start screaming a specific location, time and threat, they're going to come check that out. They're not going to just tell you, screw off, call 911. They're, they're going to actually make some motion. So I, I just want to tell people, like, for real, if you are ever in an emergency situation, however you can get attention to get help, do it. So so he starts there, and then the police show up. Well, Al, Sergeant Al Pow shows up. He's just minding his own damn business. I think he just bought some ring dings, you know, at the, at the convenience Twinkies. store. Twinkies. Twinkies. Yeah, for his pregnant wife. I, Yep. That's right. For some reason, yes. I thought it was ring dings because they make fun of Twinkies later in the show. That's why. Okay. So anyways, he's driving fully restrained with his three-point seatbelt. So kudos to you, Sergeant Al Pal. But after 
a full grown male body hits him at terminal velocity because that was well over 132 feet <laughs> it lands For on sure. his poor crown Vic. Yeah. That four classic LTD that they used back in the day. He has to back up at a high rate of speed. So we're, we're talking, he's probably going 40 miles an hour. And then he goes off what a 10 foot drop off. At, at least the car was standing up. I'd say it was more like 15 and he was getting okay. shot at the whole time. So yeah, I'm sure he now, got some, hold on. some fragmentation. Yeah. But John McClain was firing just to show him, you know, get his attention. He wasn't, he wasn't getting no, 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 no. accurate suppressed fire. They had an M60 out the window. The, the that was McClain. Terrorists. No, that was John oh. McClain shooting out the window. Yeah. I just watched it. I think it was 30 minutes ago. I think he was trying to get the guy's attention. Yeah. He was going to drive off. Yeah, he pushes the thing out and then he fires some rounds out the window. Yeah, it was John McClane. I just want to bring it. it back up because I'm pretty sure they they start shooting at him too because they shoot him his car all the way. No, over no, and gets the, shot the up first like, time the terrorists said, shoot. Getting, yeah, because it's John McClane. He says, "I'm getting shot up like Swiss cheese." Yes, which indicates he has holes that, in his car. He was getting shot at. Correct. John McClane got a little too. You know, but you're John McClane. You know your way around an M60. That's that's first day business at NYPD Academy. Okay, is belt fed ammunition machine guns. So everybody knows that. So it's a pro the, tip from right there. The first time, the first time the terrorists shoot are when they are knocking out the lights right by LAPD SWAT. I'm reading on the diehard wiki currently. In a desperate Please. bid to attract Powell's attention. And get help. McLean throws Marco's corpse from the 34th floor onto the hood of his police car. Realizing that their cover had been blown, Hans Gruber's terrorists opened fire on Powell's desperately fleeing car in an attempt to kill him. I don't know. I just (laughs) watched it, and John McLean was holding that M60. But regardless, someone was shooting at it. Yes, a machine gun with 7.62 ammunition is raining steel down on poor Sergeant Al Powell. He has to back up. So this is pre-airbag. So he's a little jarred up. You know, you fell 15 feet going 40 miles an hour and easily an 8,000 pound all steel Ford Detroit bayed vehicle. You're, you're going to need a back adjustment like that's that's going to hurt. So. All right, Sam, what are we what are we talking? Give me a rundown. What, what are we looking at? Injuries? What are, you're an ER nurse. You they say, hey, we got a police officer coming in. This is what just happened. He was a Nakatomi Plaza. He got shot up in his car. He fell off. What are you assessing? I mean, the speed of the vehicle's going, direction of impact. It was a rearward impact. He was going, he was fully restrained. He was going backwards, went down off the cliff at, we're, we're guessing, 40 miles an hour-ish. That's a good accurate, but, yeah. But after he went off, there was some deceleration there. And then he hits, no airbag deployment. Like you said, there's no airbags. You don't have to worry about that. Didn't go through the windshield. Didn't even really go forward, I would imagine, since it was all backwards, unless it was like a bounce back yeah. forward thing. So it's it's a relatively low mechanism the worst thing i guess he could have a concussion from the bouncing back and forth if his head hit anything and then you know he's got some abrasions and some cuts on his head uh i'm probably gonna do like a a level three all right i will say i'm gonna i put it as a minor car accident yeah fender bender yeah that's one of those things when people talk about stuff they can get it all wrapped up in their head so that's the difference between a real assessment and a movie assessment like Oh, well, you know, car wrecks happen all the time, though. I will say, if you think about all the safety equipment we have now, and basically that guy could have got burnt if he had just pushed in that cigarette lighter, which was easily readily available in every car at that point in time, <laughs> like that thing could have popped out and landed on him. Then he would have had to burn. Think about that for a minute. Yeah, that's all I think about. <laughs> it, it haunts my dreams. <laughs> it haunts, it haunts my Poor dreams. Poor Reginald Bill Johnson. 
<laughs> so now we have Al Pal. He's been shot up. What's the next injury after that? I have where the SWAT team goes. Gotcha. So, tries to come yeah. to the door Just and they the, the wounded and, and Hans tells them to wound wound yeah. them, yes. not, not to kill them. Which again, SWAT tactics have obviously evolved quite a bit since 1988, but <laughs> I certainly hope so. Yeah, I would I would hope so too, especially. No helmets, no face gear, yeah. you know, just, no, just no watch real, caps, no. cloth vest yeah. and a Remington 870 running in wide open parking lot towards the building that is occupied by terrorists. Yes, with a elevated and fortified position. Correct. You are not wanting to be LAPD SWAT that day. They also stop at a glass door and try to pick a lock. And when that doesn't <laughs> yeah. work, he says, torch it. So they're going to do property damage. If they were just trying to pick the lock to avoid property damage, it's out the door when they get an oxacetylene torch to cut it. Just break the fucking window. <laughs> yeah. So valid point. Did not think about that. You said that. I'm like, but now I'm like, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, Why so didn't they they just- got themselves shot because they yeah. bottlenecked at the glass doors. They could have broke with a, with a, I don't know what they had on them. I guess they're weapons. They could have shot through it, I guess. Well, yeah, at any point, they could have easily, I'm pretty sure Nakatomi would have paid for the new glass windows if you had stormed the building and saved all the hostages. Well, he probably wouldn't have because, I mean, you know, we talked about his brain. was Well, okay, the- besides Mr. Akagi, but everybody else yeah. would have been more than happy to chip in for a new glass door for LAPD at that point in time, which is a excellent fact is it didn't make a lot of sense. Of course, it doesn't also make sense that they somehow get a recoilless rifle and start raining down missiles upon the armored vehicle the LAPD is driving up to the door, which also led to one of the most iconic classic movie quotes. As the shot comes in, the quarterback quarterback is toast, toast, which (laughs) there's a lot of injuries. There's at least four right there. So, yeah, yeah, I I actually had that down. I have the rocket strike times two on the car. They call it as my next injury. Yeah, the car. I had a minor one before, just before that, on back on John McClane, when he uh, uses his elbow to bust the glass to, to get the axe. Oh, the, on the door he could have just pulled open? Yeah, I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's like, so, I mean, you're going to lacerate the shit out of your arm to get to the axe when you could have just pulled the silver handle. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. Out of curiosity, have you ever come in, cr- in contact with an axe just randomly sitting in a stairwell ever in your whole life? Just some big red fire axe. Have you ever seen one? After 1988, they realized people would probably go <laughs> around hitting them with their elbows if a case of terrorists came in the building. So, no, they removed all of them. It's fire code. OSHA implemented the Nakatomi clause to their axe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's a, I like it. There's a lot of Nakatomi clauses after. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It really re- reworked the whole thing. OSHA did. That, that was clearly <laughs> the problem. Was Well, I mean, it, it led to him dropping C4. Down an elevator shaft. <laughs> okay. Because he had access to that axe. <laughs> well, yeah, just like, you know, nurses have drinks at their station. Also could cause C4 to detonate. Yep. Could So Jayco decided, hey, before one of them gets an idea and it makes the building collapse, we should stop. You know, same thing. So no axes in the stairwells. Do you know who else was drinking at their workplace? Takagi. And look what happened to him. Oh, that's right. Yeah. They were all Safety drinking. first people. Terrorist attack. We're just trying to prevent terrorism. Yeah. <laughs> Hell, the salesman was doing coke. Like, look what happened to him. Uh, he had to make a phone call 
And that was the closest phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that was that was confectioner sugar off the party treats. That was all in his yep. mustache. That wasn't cocaine. Nobody did cocaine in L.A. in the eighties. So never. I did make notation of the C four detonation down. Yeah, the... let's let's talk about that. <laughs> let's, yes, let's, let's, please. The elevator shaft. Is that what it was? Yes. Yeah, let's he drops break down because the elevator's on the floor of the rocket because he saw it pass on its way down. So he knows they were going down just before they shot the rockets. So he thinks if I drop this C4, which he just randomly shoves detonators into, here's five that ought to do it, right? Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, just put more blasting caps in it. And here's yeah, and here's here's this uh computer monitor. That'll do it. And I'll just push it off this thing and hope it doesn't hit the side immediately and explode if that's the the science behind it. Yeah. So um, <laughs> let's talk about this for a minute. So first of all, C4 is a plastic explosive. Use it for lots of different things. And it makes a very large kaboom when it goes off normally. He didn't just have one bar of C4 or what? what is it? One, one charge. Okay. How many bars did he have in that bag? I feel like in, in the bag he had several, but I think he only put one on that chair if I'm remembering correctly well and the, and so i i think you're correct so that is important is for people to know that I yes i would say i thought it was a kilo is it a pound yeah I, I i don't know it doesn't matter we're not eod so it doesn't matter but the point right. is so just for movie accuracy's sake him exploding the one block of c4 will not necessarily detonate the other blocks so realistically he put five blasting caps into one block of C4 to blow up one block yeah, of C4. He just wanted to make sure it was going to pop, so, I guess. <laughs> yeah, he really wanted to make sure that thing was going to go yeah. off. Second of all, he puts all the blasting caps in there, and there's no initiator. So you don't just put a blasting cap into a that's, plastic That's explosive. what the computer monitor did. <laughs> that was computer so monitor, That's what I was going to say is... With no electricity to it. Yeah, if you, if you, yeah well, the electricity would have been the part that would have been important because yeah, that's what exactly. would have set off the C4. So if you are trapped in a building, people, with a satchel full of plastic explosives, don't put five detonators or blasting caps into one block and then shove it on a chair down... Because you know what's going to happen? Hans Gruber is going to end up with all his explosives and ask, <laughs> why are there five blasting caps at one of his blocks of C4 when it hits the bottom floor? Like, that's all that's going to happen. Yeah. So unrealistic on the explosion. But let's talk about the explosion. So a large kaboom goes off large enough to right. demolish. I think the LAPD guy yeah, says like floor. 13 floors. Oh, I thought I, I thought he said it was like 13 floors or something. But I and I don't remember specifics. But the point is, is an entire lower portion of Nakatomi Plaza building is now gone. Toast. So yeah. there's two things that I want to discuss that like, let's say this is real though. All right. So we're, we're breaking away. We're bringing us back full circle to back to being medical for a second here is two things. Those types of injuries. What are you looking for? Second of all, triage. Like this is a perfect example of you're probably going to have multiple casualties. So right. you're in that position. You're the ER nurse. You hear these reports. What do you start thinking about? I say, Ben, I know uh, you did emergency preparedness, so what what are you thinking? I want them to go to another ER. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever they call them, we're like, we got 175 victims. It's like, whoa. Oh, look at that. Uh, we're we're, uh, we're on diversion. Yep. <laughs> yeah, our CT scanner just went down. We can't possibly yeah. get anybody in here right now. The vast majority are probably going to be minor injuries with if the glass and the explosion from that. If they survive. The biggest thing, I mean, 
even for John McClane at this point, because that explosion came up. Yeah. That was when he was like, oh, shit. And he jumped and it exploded out exactly where he was at, which, you know, of course, movies. Yeah. That's why it does that. I mean, my biggest concern would be also smoke inhalation. Like, honestly, the first thing and, and I know we got a lot better at diagnosis of this. If you look at some of the medical journals, because of all our time in Iraq and Afghanistan is barrow trauma. So an explosion that forceful goes off, you're going to start losing organs. Bad things happen to human bodies when they are impacted by pressures that great from that explosion. Right. And the detonation proceeds at an explosive velocity of 8,000 meters per second. So staring down an elevator shaft and going, oh, shit, (laughs) and then backing away, not plausible. He was instantly hit with that shockwave. Yeah, eight thousand meters per second. Maybe that's why he was saying, "Oh shit!" Is he knew oh, yeah. he was? Oh know, my, my liver just that. turned to liquid. Oh no! <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Your spleen it's is going to have a bad day. Yeah, like, yeah. The, Lung, lungs are blown out like brown paper bags. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Maybe it was oh shit because all of his bowels just spontaneously right. combusted. Well, since his since his colon <laughs> exploded. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's perfectly possible. But and as funny as it is though, I mean that is one of those realistic like could someone even survive that? Possibly no. Like if you if you're in the direct path or within so many meters of that explosion, it doesn't matter where you're at. You know, if you're up on the 43rd floor like where this all started, sure. But if you're down around 15 or below, I, I don't know that survivability is going to be high on the priority list. And that's where the mass, you know, casually. So, like, let's say all the terrorists are dead and you're watching somebody. Those people are being triaged black. There's not yeah, a lot you yeah. can do for them at that point. Yeah, that floor that is somehow incendiary. Everyone on that floor is dead. And there's just those two guys, yeah. I think, with the missile thing. But they're gone. There's no chance. Well, I'm glad they were gone because they were shooting cops with missiles. Right. So, yeah, fuck those guys. But the point is, is everybody else now, though. John McClane kind of overshot. The SWAT guys are still laying on their back. They're dead. They were on there and they never well, left. Yeah. They got shot in the arm and they just decided to lay there where they were getting shot at and writhe in pain because that's what their SWAT training told you know, them and, to do. And that is a valid point. Also, Sam, is if you get shot in the arm, you are likely not to die. Um, but staying in the path of where bullets are traveling is what will kill you. So Correct. if you are able to move after a stab, a penetrating wound, a sh- gunshot, something like that, distance is your friend. And you Correct. need to get away from the threat as soon as possible. So, yeah, you're right. SWAT 101, they clearly didn't listen. Just lay there. I think they confused a the terrorist attack with a bear attack. And so they were like, <laughs> play, dead? play dead. Yes. Yeah. So that up. this animal that's known for eating dead bodies will leave me alone because that'll work. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, I, I think Ben was right. I think, you know, smoke inhalation for the survivors. I mean, we're, we're looking at you know smoke inhalation, minor burns. I also think glass minor lacerations, cuts, debris, you know, injuries to your eyes. I I think those are the major things that you're glass moving at 8,000 meters per second. Okay. That's, that's initial blast radius. What I'm saying are the people that were up on the 29th floor, you know, 20 floors away, you know, they're probably going to get some. Yeah. Well, they're probably a lot of ceiling concrete between there, you know, Sam. So this is a whole show predicated on making things work. Work with me. Oh, work with me here. Work. There you go. <laughs> Sam's like, uh, no, Tom. We did it. Uh, the hypotenuse squared at yep. eight thousand meters. Uh, Twenty floors up is good. Actually, he, oh, yep, oh, yep. 
<laughs> oh my god, I love this so much. Okay, so explosions, more gunshots after the C four, more gunshots, and then I have glass, glass in the feet. So, uh, which that's the worst one. Yeah. So let's let's talk about the glass in the feet because the bullet wounds. I, well, before we talk about the glass in the feet, can we talk about one other thing real quick? Yeah, and then we can get to that. Because it was one of the more graphic scenes that I thought in this movie. Obviously, the glass was, but when he's under the table and he shoots the guys in the knees, yeah, and it's you, like you can see the knees just like blowing apart, and it's like, like for a movie in '88, though, that was pretty damn graphic looking, and it looked painful. Yeah, I mean, that's gonna stop you from moving forward. <laughs> yes. I just kind of wanted to uh, mention that. I mean, cause that to me, that and the glass in the feet were the two kind of the more graphic scenes. So, and I'm glad you brought it up. I wanted to talk to the glass in the feet because, I mean, well, that's something that affects most people every day. That that's like that's an everyday thing. So we can talk about that. I want to dive into the bullet wounds though that you two were just addressing because there's multiple types, and so that's why I wanted to talk about the glass and then talk about the bullet wounds. Okay, go ahead. So basically, glass in the feet. Here's the problem though: is most people are going to get a minor shard, like splinter. Okay, so poor John McClane, who you know was trying to make fists with his feet in this hotel room or the, the office. Hold on, yeah. So let's let's back that up. The hotel room inside the office building that's there inexplicably, like, okay, so they just have random hotel rooms apparently in her office hey. building. Nothing bad could happen from that situation. Ellis likes to party. What can we say? Ellis likes to party. So he's barefoot, and we talked about that earlier, and now everywhere he goes, the terrorists know he's got limited mobility, so a smart move hans gruber oh yeah very smart. like him or not is a wily worthwhile villain and says shoot out the glass because even if it doesn't stop john mcclain it makes him trackable and it slows him down so even if you don't catch him now you've now made your prey easier to catch i'm like way to go hans gruber bravo sir that was a smart move that you don't normally see in movies usually they're like go for the head you know or something like that and he's like no 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 Let's play the long game here. <laughs> like time is on our side. There's 20 of us. He's by himself with a pistol. Shoot the glass. And so I thought that was a brilliant move, to be honest. That's not the only time he just tried to. He didn't want to have to deal with McLean at all. And it's easier just to, he said, neutralize him, which he wanted to have Carl lock him in some elevator shaft and leave him because he just didn't have the time. He had something else to do. Also, that was a brilliant move. Strategically, yeah. that's the correct answer. If you're if you're the terrorist leader. So he's one dude who can't do yep. anything to us. Yeah. Lock him in a room and leave him alone. But that first guy that John Carl's brother McClane killed happened to be. Yeah. Carl's brother. So, you know, that's not going to go away anytime soon. It became personal. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And a guy that's holding an Aug Steyer rifle. He's got a bargaining chip because you can't stop him. <laughs> so he, he decides he's going to kill old John McClane. Hey, fun side note. We have a drug rep that comes in. I think it's Eloquis or Zarelto, one of those thinners. He looks just like Carl from Die Hard. So when he shows up, nice. we go in and we tell the docs, we're like, hey, Die Hard's here. And then we bring him in. I guess he's like, <laughs> Cana he's a Canadian guy. I hope he, I hope he's not listening. It's embarrassing if he knows. He's Canadian. He played hockey for a long time, and now he's in drug sales. But he looks like yeah, he looks he's like leading a, a rough life. Man. He, this is probably what happened to Carl. He probably lived, and he's now he's doing drug sales. Well, he had to go on the lam. There's not a lot to do when your terrorist leader is killed. you got to make up yeah, somehow. Probably witness protection. I probably just blew it for him. 
But I did think that Bruce Willis pulling those clash shards out of his feet. Oh, yeah. Oof. Like, you could just feel it. I mean, like, it made my feet hurt. Classically, it's one of... It's- yeah, I would have let Hans Gruber win after that. <laughs> Game over. You win, Hans. I'm done. I quit. The only other, like, injuries that i seen... Because, I mean, you know, kind of getting near the end of the movie as far as that part goes. You know, they had the fight on the roof. There's multiple, you know... He punches, what, Carl, like... 15 times or yeah a lot there's a lot of punching trains him up by his neck yeah it probably doesn't help to say this is how i killed your brother oh that's a little that's insensitive you should, there, have, Mr. should have heard your brother squeal when i broke his neck i think is what he said yeah, yeah. I, I yeah that's that's not really what we call sensitive to his needs anymore mr mclean but yeah no he's definitely looking at some fractures to his hand after that fight like there's <laughs> I'm not even talking about the hanging injury like that very cinematic, you know, all stuff. But I'm talking like, seriously, you get to a fist fight. The human head weighs a lot, right? It, it's not like in the movies where the guy just punches them and they walk off. You hit someone in the head. Even if you kick the crap out of someone, your hands hurt. Like if you punch another human being, that's like punching a tree bark. Like it's not it, human bone doesn't really forgive that well. So when you actually punch somebody, it hurts. Yeah. And he punches him repeatedly. I guarantee you his index and middle finger and those MIP joints, they're they're all toast. He crushed those bones. But he still had his trigger finger. It's hard to shoot with no trigger finger. I'm just saying. I'm getting confused on my timeline. But at some point, the agents, Johnson, do die in a helicopter when he blows And Johnson, and not related. Squared. I said agents, plural. Yeah, no, no, no. We haven't got there yet. Okay. Yeah, no, yeah. Okay. We haven't got there yet. They're not related. Okay. okay. No. No relation. He was in junior high, dickhead. <laughs> yes. Uh, I love the <laughs> combat helicopters. I'm like, so yeah, the FBI agents <laughs> in the field. Yeah, just can't requisition air gunships on domestic, you know, land. Not just one, but two and short notice. Not Yeah, not one, but two loaded with mini guns and 2.75 yeah. inch rockets. And then he goes up with a bull action deer rifle. With look like with, some kind of scope that was like fifteen feet long. I was like, yeah, I was like, what is this shit? <laughs> He's like, I'll I'll take him out, and like, no, you're not. Like, was he aiming for Burbank? Like, what the hell? Well, why yes. why even bring the gun? You are in a gunship. It's got plenty of guns. Like, you don't need to bring a deer rifle at this point because you're Johnson, and that's what you like. Do. You could hit anything out of a helicopter with a scope on, and it's probably some horrible first generation night vision thing that's just blurry yeah. green blobs and to be fair there are people in the world that are actually trained to shoot out of helicopters but that is a high level skill that i guarantee yeah. you neither agent johnson or agent johnson were currently up to speed on so yeah. we're gonna call a bullshit on the attack <laughs> helicopter never mind <laughs> they are flying a hundred feet off the roadway in between buildings in downtown LA. I'm like, yeah, right. nothing wrong could go wrong with this scenario. Helicopter rotors and steel buildings don't really tend to like each other very much. So let's just, you know, so there's a bunch yeah. wrong leading up to what we're going to talk about next, which is the vast variety of gunshot wounds we see throughout this movie. So we see point blank pistol. We see some machine gun. I don't think we actually saw any high powered rifle shots i know they were shot i don't know that anybody was actually hit 
I don't think he ever landed the shot with that dog. Yeah. So, so there's that, but I, I do want to point out. So most of the, the bullet wounds, and, and this is important. There is a difference in bullet wounds from handgun ammunition to high powered rifle ammunition. Like they do make vastly different wounds, entry and exit. And the type of ammunition can determine some of the things that you're going to do to treat it. Because let's be fair. You get hit with a 300 blackout or a five, five, six. That's going to make, big holes through you all right or i shouldn't say big necessarily but you're gonna get poked like that bolt's coming in one side it's going out the other it's traveling really fast okay however with some tumbling yes with some tumbling creating that chasm so yeah but on the other hand the vast majority of the handgun ammunition both by the 92f that john mcclain was carrying and all the mp5s that the german terrorists are carrying are all shooting nine millimeter ammunition so again extremely deadly you you will get killed if you get shot with a nine millimeter, but vastly different wounds. So I do know, like I remember specifically, you know, John has survived all this crap. He's got the bloody feet with the duct tape. He's done all the stuff and he gets shot in the shoulder and you see boom, the spray of blood and everything goes over. But realistically in the movie, he keeps going because you could a nine millimeter bullet to your shoulder is actually an extremely survivable wound as long as it didn't hit any major arteries, vessels, or break your humerus. A couple things. Hollywood loves that left shoulder and also the lower left quadrant for gunshot wounds that are survivable. Oh, they always love to get I've shot. I've never noticed they that. They do it quite a bit. But when, later at the end of the movie when he's hugging Holly, at the end he's all gross and bloody. It's a yeah. graze. It's just a straight line across his deltoid where that bullet apparently just missed him. But it looks when he gets shot, there is like you said, there's blood spray. Like he's been hit for real, and then they just show the graze. Yeah, afterwards. Looks, so I don't know if that's a continuity error, or maybe they're just trying to say it was just a graze in the first spot. But I, yeah. I would say with the amount of blood and the fact that it actually turns him, you know, like first of all, that's another fallacy of Hollywood versus realistic. So the kinetic energy of a nine millimeter round will almost never move you. Like you can watch videos and police training videos and all sorts of stuff. People are getting shot with nine millimeters and they don't move. It's not like Indiana Jones where they go flying off a building or in this movie where he goes tumbling <laughs> down stairways. And there are people that have been shot with nine millimeter and 380 and 38 revolvers that honestly did not realize at that time that they had even been shot. They said it felt like they got punched in their arm. And then, oh, by the way, I got shot for people to act like, Oh my God, if you just get a gunshot, you're going to die. No. And we've learned a lot through 20 years of war is if you stop the bleeding and you make sure there's not an internal injury, those are extremely survivable wounds. And the only reason I bring this up is I don't want anybody to ever do what the SWAT cops did. Like if you're the victim, like let's say you're getting mugged, someone's trying to rape you, whatever. And they are trying to hurt you. You don't have to lay there <laughs> you know like if the guy says i'm gonna stab you and then he stabs you that doesn't mean you have to give up and grab your leg and then fall on the ground like run you know get away from the threat these are all survivable wounds i just think that's one of those important things because i i feel too often in movies as soon as they get shot stabbed whatever they just fall on the ground like sam was right. saying like those cops got shot they just laid there i'm like bullshit you shoot me yeah. in the shin bone bro I'm moving. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm not sticking around for round two. We're we're going. I was just impressed that the majority of the terrorists and John McClane kind of just randomly shoot like I do when I'm playing PUBG. Like I may not see my target. You know, like you guys call out like, "Hey, it's a you know two thirty five. We call that suppressive fire. Yeah, I'm just gonna you know 
spray and pray. Shoot it over in that general area and yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like it works. Yeah. So yeah, you hear something in a direction, and you just depress the trigger and point the gun that way. And you know, <laughs> that's not a bad battle tactic if you are clearing immediate contact with an ambush. But considering they were in downtown Los Angeles in a well lit building, I don't think <laughs> that was the most appropriate method of you know shooting. I have seen movies though where they train people and they don't shoot like that. Like if you've ever seen the movie Collateral with Tom cruise that is short concise shooting like that you could tell he spent a lot of time with actual people learning to actually use a weapon of course like, that's not movie it's tom cruise Him and keanu reeves for for uh the john wick series legitimately yeah. you watch those two series those guys spent a year of their life learning how to shoot and you can tell when they move and they shoot that's not or uh, the movie heat that's another good movie where they actually yeah. trained they actually did stuff uh, they actually used the movie heat to help train uh marines in urban combat now how to assault while retreating i think it was do what and then it, it, they were because they were retreating in that scene that they used for the marines they were falling yes. back while, bank robbery while under attack. Yeah. yeah and that's that's what they used it how to i, I don't know how to yes how to it. fire how to assault while yeah but while in retreat. Yeah. How to break contact, how to communicate, how to yeah. actually even reload. He's like, watch as he's shooting. He never takes his eye off the target. He reloads his gun. Like I've watched one of the things where they show them teaching other people. So as much as we like to make fun of movies, there are times where the movies can actually be useful. And this is just not one of those cases. Like Ben said, these guys must have came like half that semi truck must have been nine millimeter bullets because these dudes are shooting at everything and not hitting anything like the yeah. the rate of return on bullets is like every 10,000 bullets. They get one hit on John McClane. So it, it is that is highly unrealistic because unlike the movies, bullets are finite. You can only carry so many with you. Any other major injuries that you guys had? There's one other aspect of the movie I wanted to talk about. But I mean, obviously, I injuries and stuff Hans first. falling off of the building <laughs> is, is, a major, is a major well, injury and plot point. That is. And spawned four other movies. So, <laughs> so, Correct. so, yeah, no, Hans Gruber falling off the building is, yeah, I, I'd say an important part, Ben. No, I would agree with you. And actually, you, know, you had suggested watching the Netflix, the movies that made us. Yeah. They did an episode on Die Hard, and they talk about that fall with Alan Rickman. And the fear on his face was legitimate because they said, we're going to let you go on the count of three. Yeah. They go one, two, and drop him. Drop. So, so the look on his face is like, oh, God, like I'm really going to die. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Which – it makes such a great it's like one of the coolest scenes again it's one of the it's iconic yeah him that slow motion yeah it's just it's everything you want to see it may have been the only green screen in the in the movie i think everything else was practical effects which is something they just don't do anymore yeah well why when you don't have to but well it's cooler that's why <laughs> like that uh, could you imagine being that Karen on that up angle and they're like hey so we're gonna have a guy run he's gonna have a fire hose tied around his waist and that's gonna support him falling off the side yeah. of this building when it explodes by the way i count i tried to count the c4 when he sees it and i i got at least 15 of those bricks of c4 that the roof was wired with i really don't think the fire hose is gonna save him even if he gets out like he's he's done. <laughs> well, considering the whole roof is gone. Yeah, not not only will Nakatomi Plaza no longer exist, neither will any building around it. So yeah. 
I don't think that that's a realistic. Lot. Yeah, thank God that uh, C4 doesn't explode like that. So Correct. And then I also have Theo when he's pulling out in the ambulance and then Argyle hits him with the limo T-bone and then gets out and punches him in the head. <laughs> I forgot about that. After, Argyle. Yeah, underrated. Yeah, Argyle is the unsung hero. Yeah, he is. completely overlooked. Solid character. He's just a hard worker. He delivers Bruce Willis to Nakatomi, which is the only reason yeah. those people survived. They were going to get blown up on the roof. That was the plan. And then he stayed. He could have left. He yeah. stayed. Lied to his boss, told him he was going to Vegas. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. Really, Argyle is the unsung hero of this entire series, if you think about it. Like, yeah. nothing else matters for the next five movies if Argyle isn't there. That's deep. Theo can't drive the, the ambulance off full of bear bonds. $640 million worth. So... So he gets hit at a pretty high rate of speed and then immediately punched in the head, which we all know after getting a concussion from a 12,000 pound vehicle ramming you in the door, <laughs> getting punched in the head is, is not ideal. It's suboptimal. Suboptimal. Secondary impact syndrome. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Coup and counter coup is what? probably yeah. subdural at that. <laughs> or subarachnoid. Yeah, he's, you know. he's bleeding in his brain. Level two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something that should not have been there is now there and that's blood. So yeah, I'm with And you. then the, the pinnacle of the movie, Sergeant Al Powell pulls his gun out of retirement and drops Carl in front of everybody, redeeming himself in the eyes of the LAPD. Yeah. He's got that 38 plus P yeah. ammunition yeah. in there. The hot round. Yeah. You bet. Yeah. He lays old, lays old Carl out. So in a crowd, Sergeant Al Powell, in a panicked crowd of yeah, people. I mean, that that right there is Delta Force level pinpoint accuracy yeah. using That's... a Smith & Wesson 38 revolver in between a crowd of I people. Mean, that's what I expect from the LAPD. That's that, my been... sir. Sir, I, I don't know how he sits down with balls that big. That's what I'd say to I him. Don't... Like, how do you even I mean, walk? They named him Clank from his I mean, big see... steel balls just clanking while he's walking. The SWAT team's performance and its lackluster, it leaves a lot to be desired. But then you got Sergeant Al Powell just out there showing it for the whole world to see for LA's yeah. finest. Desk jockey was just in a car accident. No, sir, you couldn't pull me away or haul me off. And then right. just he does the Jerry Michelak, just pulls that Smith & Wesson out, lights the dude up. Boom. Like, I'm like, good Lord, how could you not watch this movie and not want to instantly watch it again? You can see it in his face, Reginald Val Johnson's face, after he shoots him, he's reliving that whole incident when he accidentally shot that kid with a ray gun. It's all there. Uh, it's Oscar worthy. I, I guess he got snubbed. I don't even think he was nominated that year. I'd have to go look. Yeah. I mean, that's talking, you know, that's uh, right up there with Denzel, the one tier in glory. Yeah. Bam. I think of Sergeant Al Powell right after that shooting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then he became Carl Winslow. So, I mean, it was like, it was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> That's a thinker. That's a thinker. Because what was he? Witness protection. I mean, he had to, yeah. <laughs> they figured he's already a great cop. City of Chicago needs Winter. one. Yeah. yeah. Need him. But, Make him Carl Winslow. Yeah. So, I, I'm glad you brought that up, though, because the part that I wanted to talk about is the mental health aspect. Okay. And the two pieces that I wrote down, Al Powell shooting that child. Because he taught you know, because he tells a story in the movie. Yeah. And then like and like Sam said, you can see him reliving that on his face. So I mean, it just I mean, to, for me, having family in law enforcement, being prior law enforcement, 
friends in law enforcement, you know, people who have been there and it's just, it just, it really kind of just struck a chord with me. Well, having never shot anybody in the line of duty, however, multiple times service arm did clear leather. Like uh, I pointed my weapon at another human being with every full intention of ending their life. If they continue to present themselves as a threat, I can tell you right now, just doing that leaves a mark looking down the front sight of your weapon, knowing that the next step is your finger starts to go into the trigger, which ends with you pulling and, you know, a bullet exiting like, at least for me and my experience, I, I don't remember thinking about every step, but I also, it wasn't chaotic. It wasn't this, you know, whole mash of emotions. It became very clinical. Like this person's a threat, you know, my firearm right. is now out. I'm giving very clear commands. Again, all these were on body cam. So it's, it, there's no problems with it. Like nobody's ever said this wasn't necessary. You know, it's already been reviewed. It's always been looked at and that's good. It should be. But I guess what I'm getting at is just the mere act of having to threaten another human being with that and knowing that it was about to happen. There was, there was times like on felony stops, you have your gun out and you're ready. But then there are times where you, you know, it's just you and the other guy and you pull your weapon out. You're like, this may happen. Like your brain starts going, bro, you know, <laughs> this, this isn't a drill. This is going to go down. And that, like I said, left in marks on my soul that will never go away. And that's okay. Like that, that's part of what you think about, I guess, when, when you do the job. But first of all, to actually have killed another human being, I bad guy or not that also is going to mess with your head. But to shoot, in this case, as the movie says, a kid. Yeah. I I honestly, I don't know what level of counseling you would have to go through to be okay with that. That's That's not saying that it's never happened and that every cop in the world that has been in that situation should be condemned because I, I don't know. You, you have to deal with that situation as it comes up. And I know that's not a popular opinion, but it's true. There are situations where I think the officers in real life could make better decisions. And there's times where that's the decision that they had. And for someone like Al Powell, you know, the movie character in this case, I just, I do think about that sometimes. And it's just like, I, I don't know how you make that right in your head because you weren't, doing anything malicious you know like that character never set out to harm a person and yet he did the most egregious thing that possibly we've ever talked about on the show which is the murder of a kid you know i mean as far as mental health goes i i just i don't know i know you can recover from it i just don't know how i don't know what the i don't know what you do next and the other aspect of mental health that i considered uh, the hostages <laughs> and the, and I, I look at it as, you know, that has to be kind of crazy to, you know, to, in your brain, but then they do have that one, uh, on the TV show where the guy is talking about Helsinki like, well, syndrome. Yes. And he's like, <laughs> well, now they're like, going to start writing their, uh, you know, the terrorist in prison. Okay. Like this is bullshit. Yeah. And then the, the idiot anchor is like Helsinki, Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> like yes. uh, Norway. 
Yeah. Well, I also like how, you know, everybody knows that clearly named Stockholm Syndrome, but in the movie, they had to change it. Like, is there a patent on Stockholm Syndrome? Like, for trademark purposes, they had to call it Helsinki Syndrome. Oh, my God. But yeah, you I never just, know. I was, never know. I was like, is uh, Norway that really that upset that they're or Norway and Sweden feuding over the name of the syndrome? Like, what's going on? they had to name it that but so stockholm syndrome is a legitimate thing i've been through some training classes for crisis management and they actually talk about that so stockholm syndrome is a legitimate thing it's actually happened in american bank robberies where the people inside the bank after a long enough period of time actually when the police would phone in would actually side with the robbers it does happen, believe it or not. That is a realistic thing. I think it's it's based on a human defense mechanism, though. I don't remember all the psychology of it, but it's basically I want to stay alive. He could kill me. So now I'm his friend. So he don't want to kill. So me. I went to the Die Hard wiki again. It's pretty, pretty handy. I should look at this before the show. But apparently they the doctor, <laughs> start all over. Doctor, Dr. Hasseldorf, when he sells Helsinki syndrome, um, they wrote that in as satire about how so-called television experts don't uh, know what they're talking about. So that's why they did it on purpose nice. to make fun of. Oh, thank you, Die Hard. Now I'm even happier with this. Like every time it's a Christmas miracle, Ben. Every time I think this movie can't get better, I learn some other information and I'm like, Jesus, 1988. And it's still giving Ben. This is yep. the true meaning of Christmas. It's the gift that keeps giving. I mean, speaking of Christmas miracles, Hans does mention that in the movie, like when he's breaking the seventh lock, and he's like, "It is the season of miracles, a Christmas miracle." Yeah, yes. Right. And speaking of Christmas, I counted, and I could have missed some. I counted at least eighteen references to Christmas, and that includes characters singing Christmas songs, or humming, or whistling Christmas songs. It does. I think I included two soundtrack songs as the credits and the and the opening were both christmas songs but in the middle um there were a couple of songs like on the radio and stuff i started to leave that off yep 18 different christmas references throughout the movie uh, throughout this that's christmas, the christmas movie, movie i should say yeah exactly without a doubt and that's why he's the best producer in podcasting right there folks because uh, uh well wow, counted the bar. number of christmas records <laughs> how many uh how many bullets were fired though that's the real question all of them. All of them. That's correct. All, Again, all. Right there. Boom. So, Ben, I know I, I can feel it. We've been doing the show long enough. I, I know when we're coming close to the end. Like, I can feel it in my bones. Took you long enough. So, oh, shut up. So, <laughs> Sam, while he has been a Just Some Podcast family member since the very beginning, this is his first time on the show as a guest. So, I True. think you know what that means. Uh. Oh, I do know what that means. Yes. Uh, oh, I wasn't no. planning that, but I think let's roll with it. How did I even not think of it? I had all day to You followed into had... our trap, Sam. So I had all day to plan this. Well So <sighs> Sam, this is five questions. <laughs> Join us on a journey into the inner psyche of our guest as we ask five 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 five, five questions. And as the producer of the show, you know how this works. We ask the same five questions to all of our guests. I ask the questions. Tom makes fun of your answers. So, And I am definitely <laughs> going to make fun of your answers. Question one, Sam. What's your favorite medical word? 
Mm. Yes. Is yes a medical word? Can we no. Uh, Spinopalatine ganglioneuralgia. Terrible, terrible answer. That means brain freeze. <laughs> that's that's what I say. See, this is the problem with medicine nowadays, Ben. We have all these long words when we could just say something simple like brain freeze. So, like, like brain freeze, yes. terrible word. No, I I like the fact that you know that. I did not know that. That's a new one to me. So, Sam, before we move on, you got to tell me briefly though. How did you find that out? Like, what made you go, I got to know the name of this? You know, I honestly can't remember when I came across it, but I committed it to memory because it's this one. I don't even, I'd have to sit down and count how many letters it is. It's it's an insanely long word. It's a Hans Gruber's bullet worth. <laughs> yes. yes. So, so tell us one more time. Sphenopalatine ganglio neuralgia. There it is, folks. That may be the longest word we've had on five questions. That's why so, also why I mean, it's terrible. We're we're about brevity here. So salute to you, sir. Question two, Sam. If you could do any job in the world other Fighter than what pilot. you currently do, what would it be? Fighter pilot. I was gonna say saltwater taffy brewmaster. No. So no, no, no. <laughs> Fighter pilot. Okay, hold on I, there, Matt. I saw Top Gun in like nineteen eighty seven, and that's it. I just happen to be too tall okay. and too stupid to do it. Here I am. <laughs> I think the glasses hurt you more than anything else. You know, I have a slight astigmatism. My vision is still twenty twenty, according to my optometrist. I think they're also wrong. It was 2015 when I joined the military. I just can't do math. Well, that would be a key component to flying, you know. Yeah. Just saying. Yeah. You and need I'm to know how much fuel. Fuel is also, I'm also important. F- so. uh, fill it up. I mean, that's pretty damn easy. Well, <laughs> So I mean, more complex so, math okay, would no, be required to make it through a program. So, no, legit question here, Sam. Air Force or Navy? Well, I mean, Army has pilots, too. So which which branch would you be a pilot in? You know, despite Top Gun being the reason, I still think it would be Air Force. Also wrong. These are all wrong answers. <laughs> because like, he's because go Army, right be Navy. So far. <laughs> yes. That, that's, <laughs> so I pick Air Force. Mm, cryptic. I like it. All right. Okay. The Army used to include the Air Force until they split off. They're our little brother. Okay. All right. There you go. Question three, Sammy. Think back to your first car. Mm. Stylish ride or rolling turd? You know. And are you still driving it? That's the I. (laughs) (laughs) My first new car, I am still driving, actually. But my first car was, it was in between. It was old. Even back then, it was a uh, 1966 Buick LeSabre four-door. Um, it was about 47 feet long and weighed 200 tons. <laughs> it was He's basically a steamroller for the highway department. We, we bought it from this um, brother of the lady who owned it, and she had passed recently, and he was trying to sell stuff. But she got that from her husband brand new in 1966 as he was dying from cancer. And she had put 60,000 miles on it since then. I bought it in 99, I think. 98 or 99. I think it was 99. (laughs) And it had 60,000 original miles on it. It still had the plastic from the dealership on the back seat. It still had road flare and a bag of sand if you got stuck and an advertisement in the trunk that she rarely used. So it was in really great shape. That, that's kind of that is that's, that's kind a of good, cool. That you know what, even though everything else 
you said tonight has been bullshit. That's a good one. I like that. I like that car. What was the car's name? Come on, every every young guy names his car. What we just called it the Buick. Okay. So it was just a Buick. All right. So you went for the, the obvious. Buick. Gotcha. That's yeah. that create that's a creativity that we really rely on here at just some podcast for our producer. That's, that's um, why I came He drives a huge Buick and he called it the Buick. So the Buick. It's a little on the nose. That's it. All right. That's that's why when he talks to us, he just calls it the podcast. I don't know. It's like <laughs> when I when I talk to Ben, I just say Ben. Wait a minute. Wait I call it minute. just some Buick. Just yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Question four, Sam. If your house is on fire, everyone, including your pets, are safe. Other than pictures, what's the one thing you want to get out of your house? Uh, I'm gonna. It's it's a toss up between my my phone because you know your whole life's on your phone. I won't remember passwords to anything. Uh, my banking is completely online uh, with USAA. There's no there's no bank. I mean, there might be one in like San Antonio. Yeah. But I also have a small safe where I keep important documents like birth certificates, um, car titles, mortgage paperwork, that kind of stuff. It's probably fireproof, it, though, right? It, yeah, it, you didn't, find, you didn't is, get the fireproof? It is, they say. But how long was paper going to – Well, <laughs> it, the paper will probably be destroyed. And it's portable, so I can put my phone in the safe. Yeah, gotta pick. you got you to get gotta the fireproof pick. and waterproof safe, Sam. Come on. It is. I'm going to go f- phone. There you go. All right. Pin him down. Yeah. All right. Last question. Question five. $9.18 in your pocket. You're at the convenience store. What all do you buy? Ooh. I'm a big uh, monster drinker. So I would, well, not big. It's like one every day that I work. So that's not. I wouldn't say, but I would get one of those, like the the big one with the screw top. That's like four twenty nine, I think, at at Casey's General Store. Casey got and, five uh, bucks left. Yeah, so I got five bucks. I would probably get like a bag of beef jerky. It could last a while. Where are you finding you know? a bag of beef jerky for five dollars? It's gonna be a small bag. It's gonna be a small Casey's bag. General Store. No, because they're <laughs> the big bags. They're like sixteen dollars or something ridiculous. So maybe I'll get yeah. some uh, those little strips of jerky. You know, not not like a Slim Jim. So I got you, true. like the Jack Links. Yeah. Yeah, like that. Get a couple of those. Again, all wrong answers. So I don't know what to do with this Perfect. guy, Ben. Like, all wrong. It's very creative. And I would think he would find he would have a more natural and closer to home version of beef jerky. So why would you buy it at a store? Sam, I'm just. <sighs> but he's got Jack Links. So maybe he's not looking for Sasquatch. We don't know. <laughs> You've been you squatching. Don't, I don't know. Sam. <laughs> <laughs> I have not. <laughs> I have not. I've not been squatching. He's a mysterious guy. Yeah. <laughs> Sam Saltwater Taffy squatching. Oh, I could get Saltwater yeah, Taffy. Yeah, Saltwater Taffy. What the hell? They have it. They have it at Casey's. Yeah, you could have. Yeah, now totally you could have. Yeah. I wish well, they had you a... can't now. Yeah, no, you. All... You're out squatching with your monster. Yeah, you, you big yeah. spender. You decided to blow it all on uh, hypertension <laughs> and uh, beef jerky. Yeah. You know, hyperlipidemia. So there you go. That's what you get. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you, you chose incorrectly, sir. So, well, that concludes five questions. Also, it's going to wrap up our episode. You guys did pretty well keeping it on topic, I guess. I guess. I was a little concerned before we hit the record button because, whew. A little while beforehand. Well, but. you know, it's the first time on this side of the mic. I, you know, over time we'll tighten it up. It'll, it'll get better. But I mean, what do you expect, producer Sam? I mean, we're paying him a dollar an episode for <laughs> God's sakes. I mean, it's not like minus taxes, you know. sixty-six cents is what I get. That's my take home. Yeah, uh, we got to take taxes out. I mean, we're a legitimate business. Damn it. Yeah. Yeah. 
by the way, we will be issuing you a W two. The government will come after you for this now. So. <laughs> and I got to pay Ohio state taxes as well. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a real bitch. Sorry about that. <laughs> you're, you're down to about fifteen cents an episode, so perfect. Don't spend it all in one place. Now I <laughs> make can't sure, even have the Make sure you click on our Amazon affiliate link before you start spending all of that. So it helps out the show, Sam. We're gonna we, need forty two episodes to pay for a monster. It's all right. No. Uh, anyway, we're we're gonna review another christmas movie coming up here pretty quick with another guest and i'm kind of excited to we're gonna we're gonna we're not gonna i'm not gonna tell who what the movie is yet but we're gonna tackle a classic i think it's die hard Two. spoiler die hard Two. also a christmas movie <laughs> damn it I, should, should we have I say, should we have started this off with spoiler alerts <laughs> just in case you <laughs> haven't watched this movie since fast. 1988 yeah it was, that was released Sam, in 90 Sam used to be behind the, you know, not used to be in front of the mic. He forgot to do the spoiler alert. Yeah, well, sorry guys, we're gonna loop it back in. I'm gonna say it now. Spoiler alert, and then you could just you can (laughs) fix that post production, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, he could producer fix that. (laughs) Wait a minute. Yeah, this is Kyle. This is Kyle. Anyway, yeah, definitely Kyle's fault. Yeah, soundboard. He did this. He did the sound backwards. Not my fault. Did that order? Yeah, it sounded like ACDC coming through here all of a sudden. I don't know what happened. <laughs> anyway, on all those notes, wear your mask, wash your hands. Have a great week. Hey, everybody, stay safe out there. Yippee ki yay, motherfuckers. I have no official <laughs> sign off. You should have swearing just to pass the time. Lately, I see why. I am alone Caught some road bridge And I thought of you And all the many times You say I should have known Took a press So I could find my chi Find mediocrity's The best that I could do Let's a shower Same with that.